Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm the pastor here. If you've never been before, our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We do here what any good Christian church should do, which is to help you connect with God in a worshipful way and help you grow in your relationship with Him. Our style just might be a bit different than other churches in the area or what you're used to, but we want you to know we're still true to the Bible. We take God very seriously here, and we want to guide and encourage you in your weekly walk with God. This week, we're kicking off this new series called Intersections, and we're looking at the intersection of following Jesus, what we're all about here, and other religions and denominations. Throughout this series, we're going to compare Christianity to Judaism, Islam, Catholicism, other Christian denominations, and we'll even look to Hinduism and Buddhism as well. And one of my goals throughout this series is for you to gain just a basic understanding of what other religions believe. Y'all might be like, come on now, Aaron. I, I don't need that. I'm a Christian. I don't know if I... I don't know why I said it in that voice, but, but you might be thinking that. You might be like, I don't, I don't need to know those things. I'm not into that, or I don't need a college class. Just teach me about Jesus. If that's you, slow down, hang in there with me for a second, because my main goal is in our comparison is for you to develop a deeper understanding for what following Jesus looks like, what a relationship with Jesus fulfills, and what it does for you individually. So if you've ever wondered, what's the difference between world religions? Is Jesus really the best option? Or how can following Jesus really make your life more in harmony with what God wants? Then this is a series for you. I'm going to be honest though. Today's teaching is pretty thick. It's a pretty thick teaching. And what I mean by thick is there's a lot of content I want to throw at you. And I think it's all good stuff. But like a good thick steak, anybody steak like lover out there? Come on now, who likes steak? Oh yeah, okay, okay. Like a good, thick steak, obviously done, medium rare, that's the way it's done. Anybody with me on that? You got to prep it, you got to cook it, and if you're a meat lover, the best part isn't the first few bites, it's the juicy middle. That's where the appreciation kicks in, right? Well, that's the same with today's message. There's prep and the first bites to start, but towards the middle, we are addressing some real-life practical things that can help your life today. Like, things like, how can you actually get forgiveness from God? Things like, how can you actually forgive your wrongs? How can you actually change even when you find yourself continually messing up? And finally, is your perspective on living as a Christian correct? I do want to throw out a few disclaimers, though, before we dive into today, today's message. Although I went to seminary for Christian thought, I am no expert when it comes to these other religions. And to be honest with you, I have a bias. I'm a Christian pastor, right? Like, so I want you to follow Jesus. So I have a bias today on stage. But I also want to state that I never do want to bash or purposely talk negative about other religions or churches, especially when they're not here to defend themselves. That's just not fair. So we aren't talking a lot about the differences each week, but what this series is putting an emphasis on is the intersections or commonalities, the commonalities. With that though, hear me say this, and hear me say this clearly, by no means am I stating or is this series stating that all religions are the same, that they are not, that is not true. 
They are, though, some intersections that we can see amongst these religions. So with that, we're going to get to it. And to start, I thought we'd do some fun. Who likes fun? Come on now. Who likes steak? Who likes fun? All right, here we go. The same people. All right, good, good. Um, so with that, we're going to have some fun. And uh, we're going to do a game. And what we're going to do is I'm going to put a picture up there. And then you tell me what happens after that picture. All right, so here's the first one. Pan of brownies. And then what happens after? Empty pan of brownies, but you're missing something here, actually, if you're thinking empty pan of brownies. There's a brownie in that corner there. That's what happens in my household. Like, someone or no one ever eats the last brownie because that means you have to clean the dish. And who wants to clean that dish? No one, right? No one does, all right? But pan of brownies, empty pan of brownies. What about this one? Chiefs and Bills, what happens when they meet? Sad Bills fans, right? Uh, how about this one? Mexican food is amazing. It's delicious. I love it, but what happens? Usually the bathroom, right? Usually the bathroom. Married couple, newlyweds, what usually happens after? Babies. Um, how about this one? Dog by garbage, mess everywhere. Or last one, how about this one? Judaism, Judaism, what happens after? The answer for today is Christianity, is Christianity. These are all things that tend to come before the latter. Now, Judaism, or much of the original Jewish beliefs, come before and are a part of Christianity. Did you know that? Did you know that? Jesus, the founder of Christianity, who we read about in the Bible, was a Jew. He followed the ways of early Judaism. Jesus was one, of, uh, one who today's Christians believe fulfilled many predictions of what ancient Jewish scriptures talked about, of God to come in the future to save the world. And how Jesus did that and proved that is he fulfilled prophecies and followed the laws of Judaism perfectly in a way no one else has ever been able to do. Now, if you haven't picked up on it yet, Today we're looking at the intersections between Judaism and Christianity. And I want to like nerd out with you for the, on this for, with you for a few minutes. Uh, normally I say I want to Bible nerd out with you, but I actually want to religion nerd out with you for, for three minutes on Judaism. If you're not into this, if you're like, oh, this is totally not my thing, I guess I give you the blessing to take like a little three-minute power nap, guilt-free. But for those that do want to know or want to enrich their faith, follow along with me here. All right, so in Christianity, we have the Bible, right? We have an Old Testament, and we have a New Testament. And the Old Testament is much bigger. The Old Testament, as you can see, but not really because it's not a great picture, there's a ton of books in it. There's a ton of books. There's books about origin of the world, about law, about how people are to live, guidelines for holy living, history, prophecy, things be that we need to do to become made right. And then it also talks about this future Messiah coming to make things right. And then the New Testament, you can see much clearer, is of Jesus' life and afterwards the movement of his Christian churches. Well, Judaism follows the Old Testament, but to them they call it the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible. They do not follow the New Testament, which is why they don't call what they follow the Old Testament. Does that make sense? But in addition to the Hebrew Bible, they are also follow the Talmud, which is teachings and more laws developed by rabbis or Jewish religious teachers developed over the years of following the Hebrew Bible. So Christianity and Judaism, they start from the same book, but then differ specifically when it comes to Jesus. Got it? Y'all tracking with me still? All right, all right. Today, 
Now, Christians believe Jesus was the one who the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible predicted to come and who is needed as a sacrifice to make things right forever between man and God. Because the sins of people or human imperfect choices are, separate us from God. Well, Christians believe Jesus fulfilled things like this. He fulfilled, he fulfilled things that the Hebrew scriptures prophesied about. Things like on the bottom here, the Messiah would speak in parables. There's scripture in the Old Testament that talks about that, and then the New Testament talks about Jesus doing that. The Messiah would, be, would bring light to Galilee. It talks about that in Isaiah, the Old Testament, and it also talks about what Jesus did in the New Testament. So even though Jesus fulfills tons of historical things that happened and fits many of the Old Testament prophecies that most people do not refute, Jews do not believe it was him. They don't believe it was him. Most Jews believe their Messiah hasn't come yet. So today, Jews kind of continue to live with the Old Testament laws that was around in Bible times. It was actually what Jesus lived with and followed while he was here on earth. This is the law that shows all, us included, God's standard for humans. And to be honest, Christians, as Christians, we're supposed to meet that standard. We're supposed to meet that standard with God. But let's be real here for a second. We all don't. We all don't. We all don't meet the Old Testament standards. The Old Testament says things like this. Don't steal. Don't, don't lust. Don't seek revenge. Don't hold a grudge. Don't judge. Don't idolize. Don't worship false gods. And so many more things, which are all things many of us mess up with, right? Well, Jesus modeled how to live that, to that standard as a human while no one else ever has been able to. No Jew, no Christian has ever been able to live to that standard except Jesus. Christians believe Jesus was the only one who lived perfect in what God stated he wanted in the Old Testament. And he was able to do it because he was God's son. He was divine. But this perfect status that he has of being an A-plus human makes him unique and able to do things that no one else can. He's got a unique status. Uh, I wanted to kind of create a mental picture for you about this. And, and as a man, I uh, was thinking about wood. I don't know. That's just um, maybe a man thing. I don't know. I was thinking about two-by-fours. Um, and, and let's say our lives are like a two-by-four. Uh, we have a, a two-by-four here. It's, it's a nice two-by-four here. But when we make some mistakes, holes, cuts, things, gouges get into this, carves get into this. And when you do that with wood, there isn't really going back, right? Once it's cut, it's, it's cut. I mean, you can use like some putty. It never looks that great. You can use like some glue. It never holds the same. Well, that's what mistakes do to us. It's kind of this permanent thing. Well, Jesus never had those mistakes. He's a perfect two-by-four, one that's definitely not bought at Menards. Y'all tracking with me still? He's one who's seen as perfect. Well, God has a standard for perfection for people he is in a relationship with. He's God, right? And since we don't live up to God's standard for his creation, we have separation from God as consequences, whereas Jesus does not. Well, when you know the whole Christian story, Jesus declares he was sent by God as his son to take on the consequences of all people's sins, of all people's wrongs, by dying a brutal death so that we can live through him and have him be the sacrifice for all mankind for all time to make us right with God. 
It's, it's John 3.16, right? It's the most famous verse in the world, it seems. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Because of Jesus' love, we will live forever with God in the end. We as humans can have a relationship with God and be seen as God's standard when we have Jesus with us. We're now seen as clean instead of as flawed. We're brought to a perfect standard. I feel like a kid kind of playing with like dolls. Like, like here's my two by four dolls up here. No, um, this is totally fine. No. But again, if we look at scripture, it says this. 1 Peter 3.18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Meaning Jesus was a sacrifice for us, for every sin, for every wrong we have ever committed and will commit. When we believe in him, we are made right. Woo! All right, so that's a lot. Again, it's thick, right? It's like a thick steak. But let's just go a little further. Can you handle one more minute with me? One more minute on this with me. So Jews don't believe Jesus fulfilled that. So they are still bound by the law and were to offer sacrifices to make up for their wrongs and, for their, and, and it's up to their actions unto God to bring them back to God's standard as the Old Testament teaches. Yet even that looks very different today for Judaism. It looks very different than Bible times. There's no longer a temple for Jews to offer sacrifices. So although Jews follow the Old Testament law, they have had, had, had to adapt the law on how they're made right with God. So how Judaism teaches today, how one can be made right with God today, is if they commit an action or, which is wrong, they must seek forgiveness from the person they have wronged. This is pretty powerful, actually. Think about this once. Uh, if, if their wrong is against another human being, they need to seek it with the other person. And the forgiveness can only be given by the victim. If it's a wrong maybe they committed against God, they need to seek it by him through repentance and through right living of following their religious guidelines. The, there's a Jewish festival that kind of has a whole emphasis on this. Uh, it's called Yom Kippur, and it's, it's known as the Day of Atonement. It's this annual time where God decides each person's fate. So Jews are encouraged to make amends and ask for forgiveness for the sins they committed throughout that whole year. They believe their salvation and forgiveness from God rests on their actions, their repentance, and in keeping the law. This day is essentially your last chance to demonstrate your repentance to God. So what this shows is Jews are continually seeking God's forgiveness for right standing with him. Whew. All right, religion nerd out over. Thanks for hanging with me. If you're sleeping, it's time to wake up. Doesn't that just make you cringe? Like, that's the alarm I use, and it just makes me cringe inside every time I hear, oh, I like how it was quieter than when we practiced. Thank you. <laughs> if you're napping or if you got lost, what you need to know is belief in Jesus and how one experiences forgiveness for wrongs from God is different from Jews and Christians. For Christians, forgiveness is a gift continually given because of God's grace of Jesus' death in our place. That is how you're able to fulfill the standard of God for the first time and the thousandth time. For Jews, 
Forgiveness is through the decision of a victim that maybe you offended or the decision of God each year through repentance and your attempt to keep the law. Christianity's forgiveness is through the gift of grace. Judaism's forgiveness is through right living and holy living. Can you see the difference? Again, we're not focusing on the differences though today. But this series is focusing on the intersection or the truth between us. And the truth between us is we both do not measure up to what God wants. We each individually need grace from God, and we are both called to become grace givers. That's a truth between us that we can see through today's message and through today's research that I'm sharing with you. But let's be real. It's also a truth that we can know through our own experiences. In life, we feel when we do wrong, we feel it inside. Like when we do wrong against God, we just feel like there's something off. And when we feel it, uh, we also feel it when we do it against, things against others too. We know we need grace. We, we desire it. I love when our experience intersects with what God says and provides. Well, maybe not fully with this one. Because when I really think about my experiences where I've been wrong and, and gone against God, it's kind of depressing. And I realize there are things that I still haven't changed on, even in my own willpower. To be a bit real with you for a second, I know God wants me to love him more than wealth and money and fame yet I still get hooked on it. I know God doesn't want me to judge others' appearance or actions, yet I still compare and judge others all the time. I know God doesn't want me to lust or to be jealous of others, but I do. I know I've wronged others, and I want forgiveness from them so bad, but I don't ask for forgiveness from them. I know I don't measure up. I know I need grace from God and should seek forgiveness from others. How about you? Have you been there before? Have you realized that you needed grace and forgiveness? Have you known you have done wrong in the past or can find yourself continually repeating doing the same wrong thing? The truth between Judaism and Christianity is we see that we all need forgiveness. But when looking at that intersection, this is also where the grace and acceptance of Jesus seems to stand out and be the solution God knew we needed. I want to wrestle with this for a little bit here. And I want you to just to think for a second. Have you ever tried to stop something before? That every part of, of you, that every part of you wants to stop, but you just can't. You just can't. For me, I, I struggle with this. I'm being a little silly here, but I, I struggle with stopping eating Reese's eggs, even though I only want to eat two. Anybody there with me on that? Like Reese's, are, they're amazing. They're amazing. They're so good. And I'm like, I'm just going to eat two. And then... The bag's gone, right? I know there's such a thing as too many, but there really isn't in my mind when they're around. I struggle with not buying needless things on Amazon.com. Sometimes even when we're trying to save, it's like we're going to try and save money. And I find myself just like when I'm browsing, all of a sudden I'm on Amazon. What? Why am I on Amazon? And I buy random things, and it's like, boom, I'm on Amazon. And the other, like this is a month ago, I bought like these wireless chargers for our phones. They're still in the boxes. I haven't used them. I obviously didn't need it. I just buy random things on Amazon. I feel we've all been there, right? We, we want to stop things, but we can't. What's it for you? For you, maybe it's you're trying not to be lazy anymore, but your body fights it. Maybe you're, maybe you're trying to eat healthy, but you find yourself like just leaning into the fridge, you know, like holding the door, like, you know, or at the pantry all the time. Maybe for you, it's you're trying not to get angry, but then you just explode at some point. You're doing everything you can to stop, and you maybe start out great, 
but break at some point almost every single time. Or for you, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you want to start doing something good. So you lay the declaration down like, I'm going to start doing this. Or you lay the law or you lay down the rule of what you're going to do from now on. You made the New Year's resolution, the workout, the plan, the eating, the, the reading, the watch less TV. And it just sucks you in and you just end up caving. You feel maybe kind of like this person. Check it out. Six miles, so many new sights. I feel like a tourist in our own city. Okay, a little shorter today. Ten degrees out, but that wind against my face makes me feel so alive. Ooh, is that ice on the driveway? I'm gonna do an indoor workout. Stairs, baby. Okay, head it out. Are you eating peanut butter? It's protein. It's a power walk. I need power. Laundry's a workout, right? It's my cheat day. Once a week, you can eat whatever you want. No consequences. It's all too real, right? It's like once you set a rule or a law or an expectation of what you want to do or don't want to do, you inevitably do the opposite. We can usually fight it for a while, like, oh, I'm not going to spend, I'm not going to look, or I'm not going to swipe, or I'm not going to say, oh, I'm not going to... I'm not going to do this, and maybe you look constipated like me right now, but, but in our attempt of at keeping rules and laws, we just naturally break. We naturally break. There's times that we just can't change on our own, and they tend to be the spiritual issues, the heart issues. Sure, we can change things like bad habits or, or our physical health habits or relational habits. I mean, there are some practical things that you can do and follow to make changes in your life, right? For example, let's say you're like, I want to stop oversleeping. And then you like realize that you stay up till 2 every night. Stop staying up till 2, right? That would be an easy solution to change. Or maybe you want to stop doing drugs, but your two best friends are drug dealers. Stop hanging out with them, right? Maybe you want to stop going into debt, but you have like 10 credit cards. Get rid of the credit cards. There are some practical things we can do to change in some areas. But what about the things you've tried and tried and you just can't change? You're trying everything you can to not look, not swear, not think about, not browse, not break out in anger, not spend, not use. We usually always fail at some point when it's on our own power. Spiritually, you're doing everything you can to keep the rules and laws of God. You're working so hard, yet we almost always still fail. If this is you, I first off want to tell you I can relate to you. I can relate to you and I know what you're going through. But let me tell you the reason I think it is. The reason why we maybe will struggle with this and a solution to it. The reason you can't change is you're focusing on the poison of religion and you're forgetting the power of grace. You're focusing on the poison of religion and you're forgetting the power of grace. Poison of religion, you maybe ask, Aaron, aren't you like a religious person? You're a pastor. Honestly, I'm not really all for religion because I don't really like acting or, or going through mindless motions. Honestly, I don't think Jesus did either. What is religion? Well, one's definition of religion is it's our attempt to earn God's approval by following all the rules. It's us trying to please God basically without God. The reason you can't change in tough spiritual stuff 
is you're trying to change by religion, not grace. I want to look at a section of scripture on this together. Let's start with just one verse. And I think it's one that can change your life, actually. It can change your life, but it's one you maybe never reflected on or really even heard before. It's in Titus. It says, and it's Titus 2.11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It's saying the grace of God, meaning Jesus' gift of his life and death for us, the perfect two-by-four, is what saves you and makes you right. Let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say your works. It doesn't say your effort. It doesn't say your attempt of keeping the law. The grace of God. Well, you might be wondering, what is grace? What is grace? It might just be a church word to you. You might even know a girl named Grace. A little side note, if you haven't heard, uh, my wife and I were expecting, we're having a baby in July. We're really excited about this. And my wife, uh, she wants Grace to be like one of the, the names in the name pool, if that makes sense. But I just got to ask, like, if let's say like you dated someone that's named that, you can't name your child that, right? Uh, it just feels weird to me, and that's the case for me. So anyways, like, what is Grace, right? Maybe you dated someone named Grace. I don't know. Maybe you sing about it on Sunday. Grace, what it is, is it's the unmerited goodwill and favor of God. The unmerited goodwill and favor of God. It's something you can't earn. It's something you don't deserve. But it's something you are given by God through the acceptance of Jesus. Ephesians 2.8, it says this. For by, the, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Some of you know this. You've heard this. But this next part that I'm going to read for you here is maybe going to disrupt your thinking. It's going to disrupt your thinking. What it is, is many Christians know that, but then they leave grace there as a singular act. We tend to think, I'm saved by grace, now it's all on me. Now i got to get it done. Now i got to try harder, repent, check boxes, follow rules, follow the laws, try to be good, try not to get mad, try not to lust. And that is just not the way of Christianity. It's the way of Judaism, but it's not the way of Jesus. The grace that saves you is also the grace that sustains you. Titus 2.11, I'll read it again and then follow up with the following verse. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. See what it's saying? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us to deny our worldly passions. It teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. That it that that verse is talking about, that it that teaches, is the grace of God. It's the grace of God. You are able to change because of the grace or the free gift of forgiveness from Jesus. It's because of God's power within you, not your own doing. Not in trying to follow the law, but because of a gift of grace. How many, how many of you, you don't have to share, but how many of you have, have not relied on that before to change? You haven't relied on that before the change. How many of you have relied on your own power, your own effort, your own knowledge, your own thinking, your own good works to change spiritually? I'm so guilty of this. I'm so guilty of this. I'm a, I naturally, I'm a hustler. I'm all about like hard work. And I want to see my work have results. 
Sometimes I find myself doing things, doing good deeds to get, to earn, to show I'm worthy to God. But that's me trying to follow the law to earn God's favor, which is not the way of Christianity. It's to discredit Jesus' death and sacrifice. Grace, grace is the way Jesus wants to make us right. And grace is the way we are to change. How does that work, you might be wondering? Well, let's think of it this way. Have you ever had someone give you grace before? Like, share grace with you? It's amazing. It's amazing when you experience grace. I mean, just think. How good grace feels when someone else gives it to you. Like, have you ever gotten maybe from a random drink or a meal or, or a thing bought for you by someone random? It's an amazing, generous act that makes you now want to be more generous. Has anyone ever, like, cut someone off in traffic before? Y'all have. Uh, and you do, like, one of those, like, I'm sorry, waves. You know, like, you're, like, kind of, like, sorry for that. Sorry. And you see they actually get over it pretty quick and, like, forgive you. you they do, like, kind of one of these, like, I see you. It's fine. It makes you forgive quicker. It makes you forgive others quicker. Has anyone ever had someone go out of their way to care for you when you are hurting or struggling? It makes you want to be more caring. Has anyone ever forgiven you when you thought there is no way possible that it will forgive you? It makes you want to be open to forgiving. These acts aren't mandatory of people. They are unmerited and they're not earned. But the grace-filled act you experience as an offender makes you want to be more grace-filled unto others. The method of giving forgiveness or grace, this is Jesus' approach. This method is Jesus' approach. This is where Christians butt up against other religions and are quite different. I want to take a long pause there and ask again, is that the way you are trying to change? Have you reflected on grace you've been given and used that for motivation as a follower of Jesus? If we go back to where we started, the intersection of Judaism and Christianity is we see that we both need forgiveness and we both need to give it. But where we need to see our difference is how we receive forgiveness and how we change. Now, as I'm getting close to wrapping up here, you might be thinking, what does this do for us? What does this do for us? We know a bit more about Judaism. We know more about Christianity. We know a lot about grace now. Now what? Why is this worth knowing? I think there are three things that it should make us think about and do. The first is, understand the beauty of constant grace through Jesus. You've experienced trying to change on your own before. We all have. Working to be better. But we know we still fail. It's inevitable. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we will fail on our own. Which is why Jesus' way of making us right so that we can be with him at the standard we need to be, that's why he, Jesus was sent. I know uh, workout analogies are kind of lame, uh, but if you heard me talk about working out, I've been like trying to get bigger lately. I've been trying to get swollen, more muscular, stronger, however you want to describe it. And it's not going well. It's not. Um, but if you know lifting or fitness in general, as you become more and more in shape, trying different things, more weights, longer commitments, harder workouts, if you're actually pushing yourself, you go to failure. You go to failure. It's part of how you get stronger and learn. But like every person who has a passion for health and fitness, they know that you pick back up because you know that the failure isn't the end. It actually makes you stronger. So you show up the next day more motivated to go again. 
in life, the grace, forgiveness that gets you back on track for the first time is also the same grace that keeps you going for the 50th, the 100th, the 1,000th time. But when you're at, let's say, your 149th time, your 149th failure, while you're there, it lets you reflect and see the beauty of the grace you have been given, the power of grace. It makes you love and appreciate Jesus and then continue. Where do you need to let that sink in? For you, maybe you've never let that sink in before. Maybe you need to tell Jesus you accept his grace and you want to try having that alone be what changes you. You know you need it. So tell him you want it. Tell him you want it. Tell him you want it to save you and then also sustain you. It doesn't have to be some fancy prayer. But you saying to God, I want to follow you. I want your grace to save me and sustain me. Do that in your head and your heart. And you're a Christian. You're a Christian. For you, maybe you've done that before. But maybe you need to go back to that same grace. That same grace and reflect on its power, its massiveness. And not just have it be one that saved you, but one that sustains you. One that has sustaining power. The one that sustains you in your anger because you see how angry God could be at you. But he's not. He gives you grace. Maybe it needs to sustain you in your money habits. Or sustain you in your internet habits or your marriage struggles or your judgments or your lust or your actions. Where do you need to understand the beauty of constant grace through Jesus to motivate you to change? The second thing knowing Judaism and understanding our common roots does is it helps us acknowledge what is desirable to God. What is desirable to God? So you should know what's desirable to God. When you know law, some of Judaism, the standard of what God wants from us, you then know where you've been wrong. And you can see where God has given you grace. Your knowledge of, that, of God, uh, of the grace that God has given you, that's what inspires you to change. So know how much grace you've been given by knowing the law. So for you, maybe you need to take some time to read Scripture or the Old Testament to know some of the standards God wants for us. You need to know, if you've never read the Old Testament, there's, there's different types of laws. There's like ceremonial laws, there's communal laws um, that we don't follow anymore because of Jesus' inclusion for all people. But maybe you just need to know some of the basic moral laws and see how much you've been forgiven because we've all broken them. Maybe, maybe this is the inspiration you need to get into God's word, to read the Old Testament. Who knows, maybe you'll even discover that God has actually given you grace in an area that you've been failing at like crazy and trying to change on your own, thinking that it's something you can do on your own, but really it's grace needed by God. Lastly, the last thing that uh, we can learn from Judaism and reflect on today is, if you remember, Judaism has two parts. That people are to seek forgiveness from God, and then they're also to seek forgiveness from others. Maybe hearing this and knowing the grace that you have been given by God freely is that prompting you need to freely give grace to others by forgiving them even when they don't deserve it. Ephesians 4.32, it says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. It's something that Jesus wants from us. It's, it's what, it, it's, it would be an unmerited gift from us. But just as Christ forgave you, shouldn't you forgive others? So lastly, be a grace giver. Be a grace giver freely and continually. Are you doing that? Give grace to others who maybe are different than you, have wronged you, have cut you off, hurt you. 
That grace is the grace Jesus gave that inspires sustaining change. Could you inspire sustaining change through your grace giving of someone else? I'm going to pray as we close that our study of our intersection between Judaism and Christianity allows us to acknowledge grace that saves and sustains us, prompts us to learn more about God, to understand the grace he gives, and has us give grace freely to others as we have had it given to us. If you want to be reminded of how to do that this week and to reflect on that this week, you can pray with me now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us grace. God, we know that the grace that Jesus offers us is just amazing. That grace is, is what saves us. Have us reflect on that, God. But not only that, it sustains us. It's what brings change in our lives. It's your grace. Not our own power, but your grace. Some of us, God, want to accept that for the first time. God, we're saying we want to be a Christian and a follower of you. And then, God, some of us are saying we need that sustaining power. Help us get through. In Jesus' name we pray.